Corey, you did really good. You did really good. Uh, not everyone does great, though, introducing me. I had a, had a woman not too long ago when I was about to speak. She was just as nervous as Corey. And, uh, and so she was practicing Noel Castellanos. And I live in a neighborhood called La Villita. And, and he's the pastor at back then I was pastoring, pastor of La Villita Community Church. And so she, you know, she wanted to make sure she got it right. And, and she had just read my bio, you know, so she wanted to say something nice about me. So she gets up there. I want to introduce Pastor Noel Castellanos. Pretty good. Pastor of La Villita Community Church. Pretty good. And Noel has a passion to reach the burritos of our nation. Not so good. You know, uh, the barrios of our nation, the, the, the Mexican community, you didn't do that bad, all right? You didn't, you didn't have me going after all the burritos in the world. And uh, <clears throat> now back then, I, I weighed about 50 pounds more than I do now, so I had reached a lot of burritos in my lifetime. Uh, so anyway... Uh, it is great to be here with you, and uh, uh, thank you for your prayers for my family. Uh, it's, it's really one of the, the things that you realize in life is that we, we all the stages right, that we go through, whether it's uh, in your stage uh, as you're uh, studying and preparing for the future, and uh, you know, as you get older, other things come your way. In every one of those stages, God has a way of being present with us in ways that we don't really understand and we can't comprehend until you get there, okay? So it's not no use worrying about it, right? Because you just have to live your life and take one step after the other. And at the moment that things come your way that you believe you can't really make it or you can't go any further, God has a way of showing up. And that's, that's the journey of the Christian life. Now, here, here's what I want to uh, start with. I, I know that... Uh, I know that, uh, you know, uh, I, I just spoke at my alma mater, a uh, little Christian college in Spokane, Washington, uh, Whitworth College, uh, this past weekend. And uh, I remember going to chapel myself, and, and uh, I actually don't remember any of the chapels, so that's all right. Uh, you won't remember a thing by the time you get out of here, okay? But, uh, but here's the one thing that's been impressive uh, to me as I've spoken to people all over the country. Um, and, and I don't, you know, the only way you can, you can say this and, and, and believe this is, is to know that there's a God and the Spirit of God that we just sang about, that He longs to really consume our lives and our hearts and give us a passion for Himself. There's somebody in here today, okay, and I'm not a prophet or I'm not super spiritual in that in any way, but you know what? I believe there's somebody in here today that, that God's going to speak to in a very unique way. He's going to maybe set the trajectory of your life in some way. It may be what happened already in the song that you sang. It may be a word that I share or just a phrase or whatever. But I know that when we look for God, uh, and, and it may feel like you don't even know how to do that today. Okay, You may feel really far away. And, and I truly believe that we don't, we don't have to shove anything down people's throat. You just put it out and let the Lord... Uh, lead us, and so I believe he will do that this morning. Well, I want to talk to you today about the greatest need that I am convinced that the world has as we head into one of the most uh, amazing times of history that I can imagine living in. And that is the uh, we, we, we absolutely need uh, to, uh, to release and to experience the love of God. Okay, very, man, you thought I was going to come and say something profound. Right, but listen, I I am so convinced of that. 
that from being in that hospital room with my father these last few days and having the privilege of sleeping on a on a you know couple chairs put together you know next to my dad's hospital bed and just holding his hand and praying with him, letting him know everything was going to be okay, to uh, the last 30 years of ministry, living in uh, communities uh, of great need and just uh, where there was clear, clear brokenness where people really needed Christ and and there's just a lot of a mess. But believing that by being there present in those neighborhoods that uh, that something could really uh, change, that we could make a, life, uh, a difference in people's lives and in the neighborhood... The love of God, the love of God is so powerful that it can transform us, okay? It can transform us in an instant, and it can transform us over, over a lifetime, okay? Both are, both are true. So this morning, I want to talk to you about uh, the, the focus of CCDA's ministry, the Christian Community Development Association. We have a very simple calling uh, for the church, and uh, we've been doing this for the last 20-something years and that is to help the church embrace its responsibility to uh, live and minister among the poorest people of our nation so that we might bring transformation to their lives and to their communities. Okay? That's it. We, we really feel like there are people that when they hear the need and when they are uh, filled with God's love, that they will say, there are, the folks, there are folks all over our country, the richest nation in the world, Okay? The richest nation in the world. There are people all over our country that are, uh, are trapped in poverty. Okay? Now, Occupy Wall Street all over the country is bringing light to this. Everybody in downtown Boston is worried that they might come in the middle of the night and displace their, their tent city or whatever. But, you know, uh, there are people every day that live in, in this area that their whole existence is like that. You know, they don't really know from day to day what's coming next. And there's very little security and very little hope. And I want you to think about this. How is it that we could live in a country with so much opportunity and so much wealth that there could actually be a class of people that is growing uh, bigger and bigger every single day that are not certain that there's hope to, to, uh, for tomorrow, right? Uh, that there's, there's, there's uh, uh, something coming down the road where they can actually uh, work and take care of their families and, and, and have the kind of basic needs met that, that every one of us longs for. So what we say is if we're going to really address that, uh, there's a, uh, what people need is to experience the love of God. Okay? How do we do that? I want to talk to you about five expressions of God's love among the poor that are needed if we're going to see these neighborhoods transformed. First expression of love is incarnation. Incarnation. I tell you, if there is a, a more significant and profound truth in the Bible uh, than the fact that, 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 that we read in John chapter 1, it says that, that the Word became flesh and lived among us. All right? I love the Eugene Peterson version that uh, God moved into the neighborhood. Right? He pitched his tent among us. The fact that God being almighty and all-knowing and supreme and above all and just, you know, we can't even comprehend that. That God, because of his love for you and I, that he would enter a broken world and say, I am going to, I'm going to clothe myself with humanity. And uh, I'm going to wear that humanity fully so that the people on this planet would know that I love them. And then if you examine the life of Jesus even more closely, it's not only that he comes 
so that uh, human beings can come to know him, but he makes it a point to reach out to the most marginalized, to the loser, to the out, to the person that seems the furthest away from being included in the kingdom of God. In society, we have a great way of drawing lines, and we have the haves and the have-nots. We have those that are in and those that are out. God says, you know what? I want you to know without any shadow of a doubt that I have come to love every single human being that I've placed on this planet. And in my eyes, it doesn't matter what color you are, what side of the tracks you're from, what language you speak. It doesn't matter. All those things, are, 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 I have the capacity to overcome and to break down all those barriers that we experience in society so that we might experience love. Incarnation, think about this. It's the way, not only that God comes to us, but is the way that we minister to other people. The only effective way to show love to people is to be close to them, to become friends with them, to be in, in close proximity. You know, whether you like it or not, it's those people in, on your dorm floor that you get to see every day. If you want to really test what your faith is like, figure out how is it that's, that, that you're, you're dealing with those relationships, right? On that block and in that community, Wherever it is that you feel called to minister to folks, if you will just incarnate your life into their lives and become a part of their lives, uh, you can have an impact on their life. That's the way God created us to be in community, to be in relationship. So there's a few words that I want to just uh, highlight. Number one is the word proximity. When you are close to people, you have an, a chance to impact them for good or for bad. Okay? I'm here to, to suggest that when we get close to people, close enough so that you can really understand who they are, empathize, understand their pain, their hurts, their joys, something powerful happens and there's a human connection that now we can minister to them in an amazing way. So proximity is so important. Relationship, relationship where you actually pursue somebody and you actually say, you know what, how do I, uh, you know, tell me about yourself. Uh, don't you love people that never get a chance to ask you what you know what they're like because all they want to do is tell you what they're like? That that's a that kind of one-way relationship will never allow you to love somebody, you know. But the minute you begin to open yourself up to people and say, "Man, tell me about what's going on," that that solidarity. Now, uh, whether it's a uh, the most wealthy neighborhood in the country, uh, I, I know that there are ministries in our country to every sector. You know, there's, if you go to Washington, D.C. today, there's people there that have that moved into Capitol Hill, uh, those neighborhoods, and they work with senators and governors, and they actually just hang out there on the steps of, of the Capitol, and they're building relationships, and they're loving on folks. Uh, you know, for a while in Chicago, I know that Boston, you know, you all had a little bit of a dry spell with the Boston Red Sox for a little while. But I was the chaplain for the Chicago Cubs for five years. I, I believed with all my heart that it was, I was going to be the key to ending the 100-year, you know, curse. Hadn't happened yet, okay? But if, uh, you know, when I was doing that, here's what I had to do. My, my ministry was to try to love on those ball players and their girlfriends and wives and get to know them, help them to come closer to Christ. So I had to go to the ballpark all the time. You know, I had to just go there and hang out, and I had to, you know, go into the clubhouse, and, and I had to jump on the plane with the team and fly to their away games. And, and they made me stay at the hotel, you know, where they stayed at, and I had to eat where they ate. And, I, you know, it was, it was like I had to do it if I was going to reach those ballplayers, okay? 
you all don't feel sorry for me, do you? All right? But you know what? It's it's that principle of incarnation. If you're going to reach people, you've got to get into their lives and you've got to love them. You know what? Christians today, here's one of the sad things that I reflect on. We are known more for what we hate than what we love. Okay? We can tell you all the things we're against liberals and we're against uh, you know conservatives and we're against this and we're against that doesn't matter what it is we can tell you what we're against but what about what we love who we love and I'll never forget one of the most powerful examples of this idea of how you and I what could happen if Christians would give their lives incarnated among the poor how much transformation can happen a friend of mine 20 years ago uh, his name is Alan Alan was about, he just had gotten married. He's a youth pastor. He's getting ready to, uh, you know, he's raising his kids. And he feels a call of God to move into an African-American neighborhood in Baltimore. Okay? And he's ready to go. Him and his wife are just excited to go and live among this mostly black community. The minute they get there, they're going to integrate the neighborhood because there's no other white folks that live there. Okay? This was 20-some years ago. They get there, I mean, you know, they start this process, and the, the, very shortly before they make this move, Alan has an accident, playing basketball with kids, he's paralyzed from the neck down, okay? For the next few years, his family is just on survival mode. All they can do is just try to get their lives back together. But at the end of uh, a few years, both Alan and Susan said, it's time, you know? They, they went and began talking to their family. Time for what? Time to follow the call that God gave us. So they actually moved into the community. Okay? And everybody thought they were crazy. What in the world? You're, you're in a wheelchair. What are you doing putting your family in danger? For the next 20 years, Allen began the largest and most effective urban Habitat for Humanity project in the whole country. Thousands of homeowners are, are, you know, were brought online. They helped to rebuild the community. If you go to this neighborhood of Sandtown today, 20 years after Alan and his wife got there, it's a different place. It's a healthy neighborhood. They started a church. They started a school. They started all kinds of ministries. And the catalyst was this work that Alan in a wheelchair uh, began. Well, about a year and a half ago, Alan passed away from complications, okay, to his paralysis. I was at his funeral, and one of our young leaders from CCDA, who he raised up in that ministry, he gets up like this at the eulogy, and he says, you know what, i got to give testimony to what God has done to this friend of mine, Alan. He says, you know what, I used to be an ex-con, and now I'm an icon for Jesus because of what uh, Alan did in my life. You know, he empowered me. And then he said this, uh, if Alan, 20 years ago, had come into our neighborhood this big six-foot-two white dude with long hair and, you know, big blue eyes, and he's coming in saying, man, I'm here to help you. I want to make sure that, you know, you guys have better lives. We're going to rebuild your neighborhood. We're going to start all these housing programs. We're going to really do it. We're going to take the city for Jesus. We're going to transform Sandtown, right? He said, you know what? We would, have, we would not have listened to him. We would have just kind of chased him out. But instead, here's what happens. He comes into the neighborhood in a wheelchair broken, right? And he just comes in, and we felt sorry for him. We took pity on him and his family. We said, man, we got to help this dude out, man. I mean, you know, what in the world is this? And because of that, he said this, instead of Alan looking, Alan looking down at us and, and trying to help us, we looked 
uh, down in him and he, the Holy Spirit and God used him to help empower this community and they became the leaders of this community see incarnation is more about humility it's more about understanding that you know what when we go and serve among the poor it's not really us that go and help them but in, in a strange way the Bible says that we encounter Jesus among the poor you read Matthew 25 that's what it says that when you reach beyond yourself and touch the neediest people on the margins of society demonstrating God's love that we are transformed the question is will we see a movement of God's people that would say you know what I could live maybe after I get this uh, degree I could live anywhere I want but I want to live among the poor I want to live among those that really need Jesus Christ so incarnation is so important and then the other things, uh, are, I'm just going to mention quickly, you know what? You, you'll recognize these as important elements of, of uh, kingdom ministry, but they all hinge on incarnation, proclamation and formation, right? Wherever we go, we believe that there is power in telling the story of, of, of what God has done in Jesus Christ. If you've never really heard that story. You know, I know you've heard it a million times, but when you hear it for the first time, that while you were so far away from God, you know, He came and He gave Himself for you. And then when you begin to disciple people in that, now check this out. Uh, discipleship doesn't happen in a class for five weeks where you just go and you read through a little book together. That's not discipleship. That's something. I don't know what it is. You know what discipleship is? You live among a group of people and you walk with them over a lifetime helping them to learn to follow Christ as they help you to follow Christ as well. See, that's discipleship. That's the model that Jesus himself started. You walk together. But proclamation and formation is the Great Commission. That's what we're called to do anywhere, including the poorest communities in our country, in our world. See, we are called to go and make disciples in those places, taking the good news. But I tell you, if we're not there present, we're not going to really uh, convince anybody that the good news is, uh, is available for them because nobody wants to have a piece of paper thrown at them. Nobody wants to feel like they're just a, you know, somebody's little notch on a belt. Oh, yeah, you know, I helped to preach the gospel to this person. You know, nobody wants to feel that way. But if you incarnate your life and you walk with people and live out your faith, and in that process you say, listen, let me tell you what God's doing in my life. You know, it's, it's changed me. My family's been transformed by the power of the gospel, okay? I mean, we were so jacked up. I mean, it, it, it was just like uh, there's no way that I could ever imagine that we would be able to be in my father's room uh, as a family, all of us united, all of us praying, all of us there, you know, calling out to God. But that's what happens. That's the power of God's love. Incarnation, formation. But you know what else? Uh, another expression of God's love that we need, uh, the demonstration of compassion. You know, friends, we live in such a broken world today. Everywhere you look, there's something. I mean, uh, the, the thing that is amazing to me is that the way that God prepares people to enter into the suffering of our world, to demonstrate compassion, you know what it is? It's your own suffering and your own hurt, your own brokenness. That's what I found. Uh, I'm this little, you know, I mean, I was born on this side of the border, Texas. It's important to say that these days, right? I was, on, I was born on this side, okay? Just a couple miles, but I was born on this side, right? 
And, but yet, my first language was Spanish, and I, I, I worked hard to mostly get rid of my accent. It still comes out every now and then, you know. And, and, I, and, and I kind of experienced the whole life as a, this kind of ethnic minority and a dominant culture and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? Uh, as I think about what I've given my life to, I am just sold out to the idea of working with people that have come up in difficult situations. Because there's something that I've experienced, my own hurt and my own brokenness. It, I don't do my, my most powerful ministry, what God calls me to do. It doesn't come out of my great education or something, you know, that I some great talent that I have. It comes out of my weakness. It comes out of my greatest brokenness. So think about what you are really struggling with here today. You know? Is it, is it something with your family, your own, you know, internal stuff? Is it the kind of uh, environment you grew up in? Whatever it is, it is very likely that God is going to use that if you allow Him to bring a little bit of healing in your life so that you can then use it to minister to others. It might be that it's through that that you can then show compassion to other people. You know? The, the, the great Samaritan, the good Samaritan story of seeing the brokenness of people and saying, I'm going to stop and do something about it, okay? Now, here's the, here's the deal, though, is that when you are incarnate in a neighborhood, uh, now, if you all get close to, maybe it's right around here, I don't know your neighborhood enough, but you get into Boston, right? Every day you're going to see people asking you for help, right? That's what happens. When you know the neighborhood and you're in the neighborhood, you know when somebody is there to con you because they're asking you for the 50th time for the same help, or you know when they really need help, right? If you're not incarnate in the neighborhood, you don't, you don't understand that totally. So we believe that we, out of that context of being in the neighborhood, here's what happens. You demonstrate compassion to people when they need it, but there are limits to compassion, okay? It, 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 it can be more harmful to keep helping people over and over again, creating a sense of, 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 uh, of dependency, and then we, we, we strip away the dignity to the point where folks are not willing to stand up and say, I can take care of myself. You know, The goal of the work that we do is not to create this dependent welfare state. It's to help people say, in Christ, and as I walk with God, and as I become disciples, hey, I, I can take care of my family. I can work. I can be part of this community. I want to take ownership, not only for myself, my own family, but for our neighborhood. So the demonstration of compassion, it, it, it's, it's a good response, but it has its limits. And when you reach the ends of compassion, here's what you do. You begin to say, uh, how do we move away from just helping people in crises to helping them really develop in their life, right? I mean, there's so many examples. I wish I had time to tell you a bunch of them from all over the country. But, you know, in our community, we've started a uh, rehab center for men called the Hope House. Fifty men are in this program that have come out of drug addiction or jail or whatever, and we put them through this year-long program because we know that it's, it's a, a process of development and restoration that they need. That's an expression of love, just like compassion is. Hey, I'm not just going to say, I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to give you a Bible, I'm going to be nice to you for a minute. I'm going to tell you, you've got to get yourself restored. You've got to get yourself in a place where you come out of that dependency on drugs, you come into community. Restoration and development happens with individuals but it also happens with neighborhoods. There's a ministry in Detroit, Michigan today. Okay, how many, anybody here from Detroit? Some, somewhere close to Detroit? 
okay, it used to be a couple million people just, you know, 20-something years ago. It was, a, you know, one of the great cities of our nation. The booming uh, city where all the automobile industry was thriving. Today, there's barely 800,000 people in Detroit, okay? Now, here's a stark fact about Detroit today. If you want to go to the grocery store in Detroit, there is not one chain uh, supermarket in the whole city limits of Detroit. Okay? Can you imagine that? Uh, what are the big chains that are here in this area? In our area, it's Dominix or Jewel or Piggly Wiggly. No, that's in the south, okay? But uh, there's not a Piggly Wiggly, all right? There's not even one in Detroit, right? So if you want to go there, you've got to go to these little ma and pa shops and, and whatever, but what it's created is what they call this food desert. So you cannot get quality food, and the poor... All right, uh, the ones that need good, solid, and, and healthy food, vegetables and, and fruits and all that, they're the ones that can only afford to get those uh, white loaf of bread that has nothing but carbs and all this macaroni and cheese and stuff that makes us gorditos, all right? That stuff that's not good for you, right? So there's a ministry there that's working with youth for 20-something years. And they've been doing all the youth ministry. And, like, you know, they started by playing basketball with the kids all the time, right? That, that's, that's a good thing. But you know what they said? What our kids need is jobs. They need job skills. What our neighborhood needs is produce and vegetables. So they brought those two ideas together. You know what they, they said? Let's create a produce store right in the middle of the hood. So they opened up a market to sell produce all over the city of the, the, the downtown so that people could have good produce. And not long after that, they said, let's start a restaurant right across the street. So they started a restaurant across the street. And the kids were running this restaurant, right? It was going pretty well. I mean, not easy to make money in inner city Detroit, but it was doing some good stuff with the kids and for the neighborhood. And then they said, we got to expand this thing, all right? We, we want to make sure that more people get this good uh, vegetables and, and fruits. So they, had, they came up with a plan. Let's get trucks, and we'll fill up the trucks with produce. We'll go all over the inner city of Detroit, and we'll sell the vegetables outside the back of the truck started doing really well and it was great but then they kept pushing it and saying man man we could even do more we could do more and so they said what if we found a, an entity a group or somebody that's present in all these neighborhoods that we can go and create a distribution center with this institution and we will just stop them with the fruits and vegetables they sell them and at this point I wish I could tell you that it was the church you know there's churches everywhere right I mean, there's a church on every corner. Why don't we go to the churches and convince the pastor and the leaders, let's do this little farmer's market right in the church. They didn't do that. You know where they went? They went to all the liquor stores in Detroit. Okay? And they went and talked to the liquor store owner and said, listen, you guys are everywhere. That's good for us right now. Let's, can you, would you let us put some of our uh, produce in your stores and we'll sell them out of there. Right? And they said, sure. So they convinced all these liquor stores. So now if you go to Detroit, many of the liquor stores throughout the city are selling the produce that these group of kids have begun to distribute all over the city. All right? Now, is that going to change everything? No, but I tell you what, it's the beginning of a kind of thinking, a developmental thinking where we say we're not coming to the poor communities just to leave it in the same condition or just to bring handouts and just to you know, come in and throw our, our tracks and our flyers. We want to see poor neighborhoods transformed and changed because that brings dignity to people created in the image of God. Think about this. 
every city in America, every state in America, every community in America, if you go and do a landscape, there are pockets and neighborhoods where nobody wants to go and be there. Okay? You drive by these neighborhoods. What if Christians were to say, you know, I know this isn't for everybody. I know this is not for everybody. But what if a group of Christians were to say, uh, what if we just moved in? What if we just moved into that neighborhood? Just be a good neighbor. We don't have to be missionaries. We don't have to raise missionary support. We're just going to go move into the neighborhood and just, uh, we'll try to get a job. We'll just go in there and work somewhere. And you know what? We, we might have to work 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day, and at the end of that day, we'll come back home, be part of a little inner city church there, or rural church, or country church, wherever that poor neighborhood is, and we will try to live out our faith with the few hours a day that we have left over, just like everybody else in the neighborhood tries to do. What if we were to see a movement of Christians that would do that? You could just go somewhere that nobody else necessarily is dying to move to, and, and come in community and say, we want to be part of that incarnate body of Christ that will go to the kind of places that society has kind of forgotten and ignored and begin to do this kind of development. So what if we were to begin demonstrating that kind of love in neighborhoods? So you, you say incarnation is important, you know, proclaiming the gospel and discipling people and showing compassion and then uh, doing this kind of development and see, this is the good news for many of you. It doesn't matter what you are. You can be an artist. You can be into political science. You might, might, might want to be a doctor. You might be into construction. You might be a plumber. I don't care what you are. If you go to those kind of neighborhoods, the skill that you have is vital to seeing transformation of that neighborhood to happen. Right? So we unleash the church. And every one of those things that I mentioned, if you will do it in the name of Christ and for his sake, can be transformation. It can be a vehicle that God can use to bring about change. Now, imagine that the church was really doing everything I just said. That all over the country, that we were really engaged in everything I just mentioned, really loving the community through all these expressions. You know what I found out? And I'll close with this. That the more you determine to love the people on the outside, and, and here, I want you to hear me with this. The difference between what I'm talking about and, and, and what I see as maybe the downside of the Occupy Wall Street movement is it's one thing to go somewhere and to protest, you know, the inequalities of our nation and say, man, something's not right. It's another thing to put your life on the line every single day. And that's what I'm talking about. That you say, I'm going to go and live among the poor. I'm going to go to places that nobody else wants to be and not just give a few hours, a few months, but to invest my lifetime to see transformation and opportunity happen for every single individual in that community. The minute we make that commitment, here's what happens. We are going to confront injustice of every kind. And the last expression of love is that we've got to be champions for justice wherever we see it. Wherever you see a human being, and I don't care what it is, wherever you see a human being that's being treated in a way that lessens the expression of their dignity, okay, or, or, or strips them of their dignity. When we see people being abused because we pay them less or we make them work in, in an inequitable way or we don't provide the quality education that they deserve or that we allow them to live in this incredibly negative environment because they don't have the resources to, to do anything otherwise, 
the minute we turn our backs on those kind of systemic justice issues, because just like hate and sin can reveal itself in individual ways, I can be, uh, uh, you know, I can be a, a, a whatever, I can be bad and treat somebody bad individually, but we have systems today in our communities, especially these kind of communities of need, that are filled with evil and sin, and they've gone bad, and they keep people from really living the kind of lives that God calls them to be. So there's a guy in our neighborhood, okay, and uh, it's all, mostly black and Latino neighborhood. You know what he realized? That every single young black man and Hispanic black man between the ages of 16 and 24 that was getting arrested, they were going right to jail, and they they almost never got out. They were being just pushed through. The, the you know they, they were not getting adequate representation. The ministry's been there for 35 years. After 35 years, finally this young lawyer comes up and says, I can, I can do something about this. So he started a legal clinic to address the needs of those young people in that age. Okay? It may not be that we do everything at once. It may not be that you know we're going to change the world all at one time. But I tell you, it could be that you're the key to really making a difference to bring about transformation. Will you be an agent of God's love among the poor? See, that, that's, that's what I want to ask you today. If you, if you feel a sense of calling to that, you feel God's uh, pulling your heart, CCDA could be a great resource, ccda.org. We have ministries all over the country that you can tie into and you can learn about. We have a great conference every year, okay? Usually it's in the, uh, September, October. If you want to find out more, you know, we'll leave information for Corey, and uh, we'd love to uh, get a chance to talk to you some more. So God bless you. Good to be with you, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you another time. Noel will be here all day if you want to speak to him. You don't need to scan out. Thank you for your patience, and uh, go in peace. You are dismissed.